Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly Podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and this week I'm joined by Raul de Leote Carvalho, Deputy Head of the Quantitative Research Group. Uh, we'll be discussing the performance of factor investing over the last year and some challenges that it may face in the year ahead. But before we do that, a bit of a review of what we've been seeing in the markets of late. A bit less enthusiasm for equities, in fact, after the initial positive uh, vaccine news for the coronavirus, a lot of enthusiasm and a pretty strong rally in equities, particularly in value. That's waned a bit, uh, even at points have had negative week-on-week returns uh, in European and Chinese equities. U.S. equities generally positive, but certainly not to the same degree that we had previously. Uh, The activity or the action, if you will, perhaps has turned a bit more to fixed income and in particular the dollar. If we look at Treasury yields, at boon yields, initially there had been a sell-off in yields following that initial vaccine news that retraced a bit. Uh, but more recently, we've got as high as 0.96 uh, intraday, so still not quite able to breach that 1% yield for the 10-year Treasury, uh, but approaching at times. Boons have also been moving within a range and getting close to the highs that you've had recently. And what's behind that volatility, these swings in bond yields, uh, on one hand, of course, positive vaccine news in general, we've been seeing rising inflation expectations. Uh, And then on the other hand, occasionally pushing yields back down. Uh, More concerning news on the infection front or anything uh, that isn't helpful when we think about the pandemic uh, and the coronavirus. Of course, we need to keep in mind that we have an ECB meeting coming up, which of course is having a significant impact on yields in the Eurozone. Key questions are by how much really uh, will they increase the PEP program, which is the program that the ECB put in place to support uh, Eurozone economies through the pandemic crisis. So how much will they increase that? Will they extend the duration of the program? And I think we can see already at least markets anticipating what the ECB might do because even at the same time that we see boon yields rising, spreads between Italian debt and German debt have in fact been tightening. So in anticipation perhaps uh, of hopefully a positive surprise from the market's point of view from the ECB. As I mentioned, the other big moves have been particularly in the dollar. You've seen the euro rally from a low of 1.06 back in March uh, up to 1.22. So pretty dramatic rise over the last several months. Uh, That level, that 1.22, is the highest we've seen the euro since early 2018. Uh, Back in 2018, the euro got as high as 125, and people have in their mind an expectation that if the euro gets that strong again, we're going to start seeing at least some words from the ECB to try to get the euro a bit lower, uh, if not necessarily any action to actually weaken the currency. The last thing to mention is that in all of this, Most of the economic data that we've gotten recently has been surprising to the upside. So better than expected news on the economic front, uh, and hopefully at least as risk assets are concerned, that continues. So now let's turn to our guest speaker, Raul. There have been reports in the media that quantitative equity products, particularly using factor investing, have not been doing particularly well. Are all factors broken? 
uh, and how do recent events fit into an historical perspective? Yes, unfortunately, uh, we see such reports uh, in the press. Now, no, we don't think everything is broken. In fact, uh, when we look at our uh, models, not everything is broken. Equity uh, quant uh, managers usually rely on a number of factors, which include value, buying cheaper stocks, quality, buying stocks from the most profitable companies, Momentum, which is buying the stocks that uh, have the best performances. And low risk, which is about buying uh, stocks from lower risk companies. There's also size. Some managers also prefer to buy uh, smaller capitalization stocks over large uh, capitalization uh, stocks. And in fact, uh, when we look at uh, these five styles of uh, factor investing, its value and also size that have been the main culprits recently. If you look at quality, the performance have been really exceptionally good, in particular in 2020. And momentum has been performing uh, really well in line with, uh, with the historical performance. Low risk is a bit mixed, depends on the region, but it's value in particular that hasn't performed. And size, we are not uh, playing size explicitly because we tend to rely on mid to large cap uh, benchmarks and the size factor is not really visible in, in such universes. But uh, recently, for those managers that have a strong focus on size, even in these benchmarks, the situation has been difficult because large caps have significantly outperformed uh, mid uh, cap companies and that also had a negative impact. Now, why are the reports then uh, showing uh, poor performances for quants? There are two reasons. One is that quants tend to over-rely on value factors. And many quants, either directly or indirectly, they do have a, a tilt towards smaller capitalization stocks. And that essentially explains what has been happening. It's not the first time it happened. Uh, it happened also in the tech bubble, in the run-up of the tech bubble when expensive companies, in fact, those days, even non-profitable companies uh, and high-risk companies were outperforming. So there was a period where multi-factor also underperformed then. And we've seen another episode of underperformance at the turnaround in 2009 uh, after the, the great global financial crisis. Uh, now, when we look at value, it's very peculiar. I mean, our value factor has been underperforming since mid-2018. And we believed by March 2020, it was probably overstretched and about to go back in terms of performance. But the COVID and the impact of lockdowns, we really think had uh, an, uh, explained the overextension of this and the performance. So yeah, the COVID played a role. But now, recently, we have seen a, a first beginning of things going back to where they would expect them to be. Great, that's very enlightening. Thank you, Raul. So would you say that diversification over the various factors is still a valid approach? Yes, in fact, I think, uh, as I said, Poor diversification was perhaps the, the most likely explanation of all the reports of, of poor performance. Uh, the fact that, uh, and there are reports confirming that uh, these, the fact that 
equity uh, multi-factor uh, managers tend to over rely on value and also to some extent uh, create explicit exposures to the size factor it is one of the explanations of poor performances in particular in 2020 but also in 2019 for those who underperformed in 2019. Uh, fortunately, not our case. Now, uh, it's not the only question, the diversification. I mean, increasing weight of quality and momentum would have helped significantly in 2020. And also in the past, over the, the long term, we, show, we have shown that being diversified, investing in at least value, quality, momentum, and, uh, uh, and uh, low risk, is uh, is the best approach uh, in terms of having a good diversification but the choices that go into building exposures to these factors is, is also incredibly important we, it's our research has found that it's very important to neutralize sectors to get better performances in particular if you are constantly uh, exposed to the factors over time and you don't really try to factor time uh, we have also shown that controlling for the overall risk of the portfolio is extremely important and that diversifying even inside each style by choosing not just the one representative factor of each style but many uh, also adds significant value. In fact, we estimate that the diversification of uh, investing in all the styles and in many factors in each style can pretty much double the risk-adjusted returns you get from your factor investing approach. From what you said then, is this a good time for a fresh look at the value factor? And more broadly, what is the outlook for factor investing? Yeah, well, the question is, what is the value factor? Depending on how you construct your value factor, you get quite different performances. If you have a very simple uh, value factor construction like the MSCI value index, you probably would have seen uh, the, the value factor and the performing since 2007. Now, we believe it's very important to control for risks which are not necessarily related to value investing. Sector exposures create an exposure of the portfolio to the business cycle. We don't think this is a good thing if you really just want to earn alpha from investing in the cheaper companies against the most expensive companies. So we tend to neutralize sectors. We tend to compare apples with apples. Uh, and that makes a huge difference. If you do this well, and if you diversify the indicators you use to measure value, you would have performed well. You would have uh, generated good alpha from value investing until mid-2018. That's our case. Our value factor only really underperformed since 2018. If we start thinking about when is a good time to invest in value, we can't really measure in the good time we have tried, but we don't really have ways of at the moment of modeling the best time to be exposed and when we should get out. And you can see the difficulty because uh, there's no universal definition of value, so there's no universal uh, timing of the best time to invest uh, in, in value stocks. It really depends on how you construct it. What we found is with our approach to build a value factor, it's better to stay invested all the time. Saying that, and even though we find it's difficult to, to, to time, uh, we, uh, we understand and we see that the dispersion in our factor indicators is at all-time highs. 
uh, it's comparable to what we've seen in the tech bubble. We cannot say that this is going to uh, now uh, be responsible for the turnaround today in the value factor, but we expect the value factor to normalize its performance. We cannot just say if it is exactly now, if it's already rebounding or if you still have to wait uh, some time. And that decision can cost if you get the timing of that decision costly. So we prefer to stay exposed and diversify the value factor with the other styles. For the outlook on factor investing, where we believe that in particular for the investors that suffer in this period, staying invested is, is good. And for those that are not invested, uh, uh, thinking about uh, investing now, it's good because we see a normalization of the performance of the factors. Uh, it should come now. Historically, that's what happened when we experienced such drawdowns. And additionally, one of the other uh, uh, factors that weighed negatively on the performance of uh, uh, factor investing managers was the fact that they construct long-only portfolios, which inevitably uh, produces some tilt towards the mid-cap stocks. And that was costly also, very costly in 2020. But with the benchmark indices at all-time high levels of concentration, we also see that this is likely to reverse. We cannot time it exactly, but we see there's high probability that this reverses, and that will help significantly the performance of uh, factor investing uh, managers that use long-only approaches. Thank you very much, Raul. If I can summarize a bit what you've just shared with us, uh, if we do acknowledge there's been some challenges, for factor investing over the last year or so, but you pointed out that it's not all the factors that have broken down. If we think of the five key factors that you look at, value, momentum, low risk, size, and quality, it was really challenging with the value and size factors as opposed to all of them. Uh, if we think about what's behind the poor performance more broadly for quantitative investors, uh, it's been a particular reliance on value and size. Uh, that's explained that underperformance. It's not the first time we've seen this phenomenon, if we think back to the tech bubble. Um, but the lessons perhaps that we can draw from that now are is that diversification is very important and not to have too much reliance on a few factors. Uh, secondarily, that portfolio construction is crucial to getting the most out of factor investing. And this is particularly the case for value. And if we think about the outlook from here, in fact, it might be a quite good time to look at factor investing after this period of challenges, because with the divergent performance you've had from the factors recently, we'd anticipate some normalization, which should lead to hopefully more supportive, more positive performance. Well, that's all for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks again to Raul for sharing his insights. I hope you will join us next week when I'll be speaking with Olivier de la Rousière of our multi-strategy fixed income investment team to discuss the outlook for Eurozone bonds. With that, goodbye and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.